Hello, Ben Ward. How are we, pal? I'm very well, Gavin. Nice to see you, mate. How's it, things? It's nice to be seen. It's nice to be seen. I think the last time we crossed paths was uh, 2014, and you were in your dressing room holding a bottle of my single malt, if you, if yeah. you recall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, not much changes. <laughs> yes, yes. It was, supposed to, be a, it was supposed to be a bottle of Jack Daniels. I'm not quite sure how it became a, a Grand Marangi or a Balvenia or whatever well, it was. But. We, we lucked out there because normally we have a bottle of Jack Daniels, a bottle of Jim Beam on the rider, but there was none available. So we said, well, you know, see if you can get us a nice single malt. We ended up with this really expensive bottle. So it was, uh, it was a nice touch. Aye, good, good. Well, if anybody ever deserved it, big man, it, it was yourself. That was a that was quite Thank a quite a show that year. But before we get to Orange Goblin, this podcast yeah. has kind of inadvertently found itself in the weeds with booking agents and managers, and and it seems to be what the listeners enjoy more than just your usual. You're a, you're a singer in a band. Tell me about it. So let's yeah. um, let's do your booking agency. You've uh, you were involved from. I don't know, 2015, 2016, United Talent Agency. And then now, yeah, you, I, now you've got Route 1 booking. So tell us a wee bit about that and how that came about. Um, well, what it was, was I, previous to that, I'd worked as a manager or a manager assistant at a company called 115. And I was helping uh, this guy, Paul Lowsby, great manager, um, helping him look after clients such as David Gilmore and Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett Estate. And... Um, Following the release of Eulogy for the Damned in 2012, things sort of stepped up with Orange Goblin and uh, we got the opportunity to do that full time. So took that opportunity. We toured the world for a couple of years, but realised we couldn't really make ends meet. And when we came back from that, I remained good friends with Paul Ryan, who was uh, obviously a renowned booking agent. Uh, it was called the Agency Group at the time. And he said to me, Ben, with, with your years of experience in touring and, and uh being in the band, he said, you must know every festival, every promoter, every venue across Europe and, and further afield. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've got a fair bit of experience and, you know, I know how to do a settle sheet at the end of the night. So I ended up uh, being given a job as, an, as a booking agent at what was, as I say, at the time called the Agency Group in the London office. And I'd only been there three months when they got bought out by a huge US company called United Talent Agency, which most people are probably aware of. And yeah, I, uh, I spent five years there booking artists such as Orange Goblin, obviously, but also like Fu Manchu, Corrosion Conformity, Crowbar, Raging Speed on for a while. Um, had a, you know, a load of bands come and go, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, The Sword, Massive Wagons. And, and I, I learned a lot there. It was a great experience for me. And then obviously this year with COVID, there's, there hasn't been a live music business. So um, companies like that, they had to sort of, you know, understandably reduce the the amount of staff on their uh, on their roster. So I uh, I was made redundant in September, and I I just sort of I, this is all I know how to do. So <coughs> took the initiative. I already sort of met my business partner Jules Janowith, uh as he was manager of this band King Creature, who I also represented, and we just discussed the idea of starting our own booking agency, something you know different, more hands on, more sort of initiatives that cater to the client's needs, especially in a time like now where there's no live music and bands are looking at alternative ways to contain, uh, continue a revenue stream. So we've obviously there's sort of social distance shows and things like that, but it's an exciting time. You know, I'm, 
I've lived in London for 30 years, but now I'm taking the plunge and moving down to Cornwall in January and setting up the office down there. And uh, good. Yeah, it's good. exciting. I can't wait to get stuck into it. I mean, I saw that I had a right good um, route around um, the website just to prepare for this interview. And it says yeah. um, a talent agency reimagined, which yeah. sounds, sounds like PR speak, but you're not a guy. You're not a guy for PR speak. You're a guy that tells it how it is. So what does, what does reimagined mean? What's going to be different? Um, as I say, we want to offer more than just booking shows and tours for our clients. We can offer them. We've got our own venue down there, the yard, that post-COVID is going to be a 2,000 capacity outdoor venue where we can host festivals, we can host one-off shows. Um, we've got facilities for recording, mixing, mastering. We've got John Cornfield, renowned producer, that is a client and working closely with him to facilitate artist needs in that department. We've got transport, we've got links to backline hire and things like that. So we're just looking at ways we can reduce bands' touring costs yeah. and encourage them to get on the road, basically. Yeah, yeah. So more of a more of an all-in-one package, so you can kind of come guys. Yeah, that's, that's, what that's what we're trying to offer is like a full-service agency. And I know most agencies, you know, cater to that sort of thing as well. Uh, well, a few of them do, but um, you know, I I just think that now more than ever, artists and and uh, bands need something extra to help them, you know, get a foot on the ladder. It's it's, it's a really sort of um, inundated scene there's there's bands everywhere and it's, it's not too hard to go out and book your own shows but taking that next step to festival level and things yeah. like that is, it's where you need a little bit of advice and someone with a bit of experience yeah absolutely and for the promoter side of that it's a as you say there's bands absolutely everywhere and it's difficult to cut through some of the noise with yeah. myself and paul we pick up as much as we can for going to live gigs but the nature of damnation yeah. is you kind of need to be a, a pretty established act even to go on the bill so it's not, yeah. there's only so much you can, you can catch and it takes someone like yourself who knows guys like me or Vicky at Bloodstock or Andy yeah. Coppin or, or Cam Hack to, to get these bands on and cut through some of the noise because by the time they've got to use a wee bit of a, I don't know if I don't want to use the word gatekeeping, but you're, you're not taking someone on who's going to no show up for the show or no fucking have a drum kit or, or any of that nonsense. Exactly. I mean, yeah, so, yeah. You look for some. You look for bands with ambition, bands that want to go places. And obviously, you know, you and I should be at loggerheads over this. The agent uh, promoter relationship is is my job to convince you that these artists are worth you putting them on your stages. But you know, I, I think it's important that promoters and agents have a really good understanding, a good rapport with each other to help nurture this new exciting talent, especially yeah. within the UK, where we're, we're looking down the barrel of Brexit and. Our, our artists getting across to Europe is going to be a lot more complicated. So we need these homegrown bands to have homegrown platforms here in the UK that they can sort of be exposed and... and Nail on the head with that, Ben, and we'll get, we'll get to that. I want, to, I want to talk to you about that with Orange Goblin when we get to Orange Goblin, but a, a big frustration that I have and have had since yeah. the start of Damnation is the UK bands and our scene haven't broken through to the level of headliner. So what we have had yeah. is the same... The same headliners that have always been there, the At The Gates, the Carcasses, Electric Wizard are that one, they're the one exclusion I would suppose, but even there, Electric Wizard aren't a new band either, so it's, it's been yeah. frustrating when you're seeing, that's not the same in pop punk, it's not the same in indie, it's not the same in other, I'm looking at festivals that are very similar to Damnation in different genres, where these yeah. new bands, the Frank Carters and the Rattlesnakes, the Slaves, these bands come through very quickly, 
and get to the top can sell yeah. 3,000 tickets where we don't have that. Yeah. So without going into Orange Goblin, because we will get there, is, does that frustrate you that other UK bands haven't been able to make that jump? Um, yeah, it does to a certain extent, because I know what you mean. The, the, there's underground bands that kind of seem to be content with remaining underground, but there are also underground bands that have made those steps. You look at the likes of Bring Me the Horizon and Bullet for My Valentine that have sort of made these huge steps and, and you know, that they did come from a kind of extreme metal background. So that's all power to them. It's, it's great to see. But as you say, it, it's hard in in this day and age for for promoters like yourself to be able to take that risk for a band that aren't really worth hard tickets and and give them that platform to headline and, and pay the money that a headliner warrants. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I'm using the Electric Wizard as an example, and they'd done very well for us in 2012. But the time I get back to, I, mean, I don't know, there was a year that I'd done, I was a sort of treble headliner with them in a bath in the Cult of Luna with Julie Christmas. And I didn't really feel that Electric Wizard could do it twice. I mean, it would be another 3,000 yeah. sales. And I thought, I thought I'd rolled yeah. the dice for Electric Wizard and I'd won a watch on that one. But I didn't know if they would, in the space of three years, if the fans would be like, we're going to buy into that again. So it, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's nervy as a promoter because you kind of just <clears throat> the second carcass show never sold as well as the first carcass show. You know, it's like yeah. once the fans have been there and done it at your event, and right, like, what's next? And the problem is, That's it. it's, all, it's hard for you because you're always looking for something new to offer to your punters and from a very you know, small pool. Yeah. I mean, so, the, the electric wizard one's a good, good case in point, actually, because that's dear to my heart. Because obviously, when we started out with Orange Goblin around 94, 95, we did a lot of shows with electric wizards. And I remember playing shows at places like the George Roby in Finsbury Park, and there'd been about four or five people in attendance. And then, you know, forward 20 years, and you've got electric wizard almost selling out the roundhouse and headlining things like Damnation. It's, and it's great to see that them bands can make that transition. Yeah, yeah, and that, but when, I, when I'm pointing out, I think that that is my one exception. That it's the that's that one. Yeah. I mean, my dying bride couldn't do it. Yeah. Paradise Lost never managed it. Unfortunately, we've, we've never done it with Orange Goblin. These bands that are at a very good level, but Electric Wizard, something happened to them that they just became that band that could headline Cycle Las Vegas and the <laughs> huge t- huge tents at Hellfest and Wacken that that just never happened to the rest of the UK bands. Pull it for my Valentine and bring my horizon aside. For me, I think it was kind of, they they were very clever with their strategy. They never overexposed themselves. They didn't tour and play a great deal. So when they did appear, it was a sort of a big occasion and people were happy to finally get a chance to go and see Electric Wizard. Yeah. And they sort, sort of nurtured their own reputation of being, you know, a dangerous band. Is it going to be a shambles? Are they going to be on form? <laughs> and then there was, there was a period where you didn't know what you was going to get with Electric Wizard. So it was, um, you know... A, uh, an attraction when they did announce shows. That's true. Luckily for Damnation, they've played Damnation three times, and luckily we've had all the we've had the the shows where they've, they've shown up, known what, what songs are playing. Because I've yeah. also <laughs> I've also heard of those uh, infamous shows where yeah. they say Black Mass and somebody's playing Funeropolis in the background. So it's uh, yeah. but, I mean, I, I I don't know how much of that is testament to the the manager because I know Mark Lewis looks after them and he does he's done a great job of. Of sort of putting them on the right stages, he's 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 handled the band very really really well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, let's forget Electric Wizard for a moment and talk more about your roster. How did you've got you've got everybody on there? It's it's a strange roster. It's everywhere. So you've got Fu Manchu and Discharge, like these absolute legends of the genres, and then you've got Video Nasties and Blind River that are just emerging. Yeah, was that was that a happy I, accident, or did you go out to sort of curate your own? 
No, I think it's, it's I think it's important for a booking agency to have a little bit of diversity and to have those established artists that you know you're going to sort of do decent business with and also look out for what you are passionate about and what you feel is going to be successful in years to come. And there's no better feeling as a booking agent than to see a band go from those sort of grassroots levels and nurture them through to bigger stages and see their career progress. So that's what we hope to do with Route One is take these artists from, you know, playing small hundred cap venues and seeing them go on to play sort of thousand cap rooms and big stages at festivals. So, yeah, um, I mean, I was fortunate that a lot of my roster at Route One came with me from UTA and, you know, the, the separation I had with UTA was all amicable. It was all understandable. There was no hard feelings and they were really uh, generous in their... Um, letting me talk to my clients and things like that. And, you know, when I had conversations with the management, they were happy to follow me because they were like, well, you know, we, we like what you do. You're that, you're our agent. It's, uh, regardless of whether we're with United Talent Agency or Route One, it's, it's the job you do. So, um, and it's just given me a lot more freedom to kind of explore these these sort of new bands that are just, just becoming, just coming out and uh, sort of try and nurture them. So, yeah, we've got a good team in place at Route One, and we we feel that we can develop artists' careers. I take it what happens is um, if you're under the umbrella a, a massive, a major agency like United Talent, that if you see yeah. a band that you like in your your hometown uh, playing a pub, it's not quite so simple as just saying I'm going to add them to the roster. I take it there's a whole exactly. yeah, there's a there's a process to go through because you know the uh, an agency like UTA obviously has a reputation to uphold and wants to be seen to be looking after the biggest and the best. And sometimes, you know, there was a lot of hard work for me to convince people that this band was worth taking a pump. But that's, that's what we are as booking agents and promoters. We have to be allowed to trust our own ears yeah. and, and make those decisions. And if people are sort of telling you, no, you can't work with that. And it's like, well, you know, what's the point of me being here? Yeah. Absolutely. So, but then I take it for, for that that negative to working with a with such a, a a major agency. I suppose the positive in it when I'm dealing with agencies that have that have got billions of staff, you get the you get the yeah. email through for the agent, the Paul Ryan, whatever, and there's six people included because one does the art, one does the contract, one yeah. does the the finance, one makes sure that you're tying up. So that I, I assume that that's not the case of one. You're going to be a sort of jack of all trades. No, I mean, we're, we're a three-man team at the moment. And, you know, I, I think that's all we need to take care of things. We've got everything's done in-house. We can supply artwork. We take care of all our own accounts. We do, And like you say, you have some agencies where you do have that. And the bigger the band, the bigger the team surrounding them. Yeah. And, and as you say, you know, someone that deals with the artwork, you've got someone that deals with their accounts, you've got someone that deals with like, the tour managers copied in from an early stage. And it, it does make it a little bit messy. So yeah. we just want to keep things simple for our clients. We want to keep things simple for the, for the promoters we work with and, and, and just get back to the basics of what this industry is about. And that's entertainment and having fun. Yeah. I, I spoke with uh, getting a booking agent on here is not that easy. <laughs> I, I done t the first 10 episodes and the only guy that got on was um, happened to be Hayden Britlin from Northern yeah. Music, who we am and Ryan, yeah. Couple Luna and a fucking incredible roster. And um, yeah. I, was making, I was making the point to him that for the fans' point of view, it's hard to understate how important a relationship between a booking agent and a, a promoter or an event is because what happens is I, I chased Pig Destroyer and Cult of Luna for years. 
and whoever was representing them at the time didn't give a shit. They didn't care about their nation. They didn't care about what we were doing in, in England. They, I, I, I take it they were a, um, a European or American-based agent at the time. And the yeah. second that one pig destroyer arrived with their agent, they were available. The next day, they could play Damnation and yeah. Kiltaluna were, were with Hayden Britlin. And, and uh, straight away, they were available. So I'm looking at your roster and I'm saying, fuck's sake, new toy man in Voivod. So what, does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, will they be playing Damnation 2022 now because because I've got a relationship with you? And it's it, it's strange because you would, before you get into this game, you would never think that that's the case. You would never think that a band might never play your event because they might never hear about it because our agent doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think it's important for an agent to be passionate about the clients they work with and always want the best for them. And the best for them is for me to have those relationships with the promoters so that, you know, I want everybody to have heard of Mutoid Man. I want everybody to see uh, Discharge. I want to see everybody to see Voivod and, and all these bands because I love them and I think everybody should hear them. So, you know, it's important that I, I know you and I'm, I'm, I'm able to offer them to you to put them on your stage or I'm able to offer them to Cam and Andy Cop in a download. and, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's something you have to be involved with. You can't just sort of, you know, take a break and and, and rest on your laurels. You've got to keep on to everybody all the time. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what another agent listening to this would say from Europe or America is very easy for Ben Ward to say, "Oh, it's important to get my bands on Damnation because Ben Ward knows exactly what Damnation is, and it's two minutes up the road." But I yeah. suppose your argument back would be, "But you will care when the festival from Romania or the festival from Finland." comes to you yeah, and says, is there any chance we can get Mutoid, man? Yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly that. And it gets harder and harder each year because, as you know, the, the volume of festivals across Europe now is just insane. Yeah. And we used to be, a, we, I, mean, I, I mean, even going back to 2015 when I first became a booking agent, festival season was normally sort of start of June through to the end of August. But there's no such thing as festival season now. <laughs> festivals take place all year round. And... You know, that's great. It's great. But what a lot of people don't realise is there's a strategy involved in an artist's touring schedule and things like that. So, yeah. you know, when they're saying, we want to play this festival, we want to play that festival, we want to play this festival, especially if it's a US band or something, I can't have them coming over to Europe every month of the year because we have to have some sort of strategy for them to tour and make it financially viable. It's a, it's a complicated business. And as you said earlier, I don't think a lot of people really understand that sort of side of the booking agency or, or the booking agent and the job they do. Yeah, it, it's just as simple as, oh, well, you like that band, we like that band, can that band happen? But then again, maybe yeah. I get into some of the, the intricacies we, we hate as well, but sometimes a band only want to play in the dark. Like he said, Aaron yeah. like they only want to play in the dark, their, their show's got a lighting package with it. That So yeah. Bloodstock might offer, but it might be a 2 p.m. slot in the main stage. Now, most, most bands would rip nope. their hand off. For that, but that's no good to yeah. Am and Ra, you know. So have you had the, yeah. has there been some quirks that you've you've found dealing with bands? You're like shit, I never even I thought of getting this great slot of whacking or I've been fortunate that I haven't encountered anybody like that that's been so sort of uh, specific about certain slots or things like that that they've turned them down. I mean, I did book uh Coven for a while. Right. And Coven, as, as you know, yeah. like one of the first satanic rock bands from the late sixties. And Jinx is sort of considered an icon of the whole kind of occult music, occult rock. And, and um, you know, she kind of specified that she always wanted to make sure that they play 
once the sun's gone down, she wants to make sure there's a coffin on stage for her to come on and be presented. And I have to have like a, a human skull for her to carry onto the stage and all this sort of thing. And you're like, when you start sending these demands to a promoter, I can imagine they're rolling their eyes going, for fuck's sake, that, what's going on here? But other than that, I haven't really experienced anybody that's too picky. So I've been fortunate to that. Obviously, all, all my managers, they want me to push for the best slots that I can and the best sort of billing that we can get. But, you know, no one's, no one's been over the top so far. And how do you feel about that? Because you're building something that, uh, that I take quite personally. I do with other agents who take it very personally. Some bands take, some bands don't give a shit. Some bands are like, they're on it and they're done. So, uh, yeah. have you, how do you, and your years of now being a, an agent, have you, you get some festivals that are just like pains in the arse, but it just won't back down or, or, or what? Yeah, it, it, it can be frustrating. But again, it's, it's kind of a case by case thing because a band may be bigger in one territory than they are in another. And, you know, sometimes I've had clients that have been booked to go and do a festival in the Netherlands or something, and their billing's below these bands never heard of. And you say to the promoter, how come we're down there on the bill? And they're like, well, this band sells sort of thousands of tickets here. They yeah. might not make it, make it anywhere else in Europe, but in this country, they're huge. And you're like, shit, yeah, you have to swallow these sort of things and have yeah. this kind of awareness. Is, is that Volbeat effect? You know that? Nobody yeah, in the UK, is, nobody yeah. in the UK gives a shit about Volbeat, but <laughs> you go to Europe and they're fucking they're headlining every major festival going, you know. So yeah, it's it's surprising when you go to different territories how sort of the uh, the difference in bands' popularity is. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So who who should we be looking out for, like the up and coming bands? For, for I'm hearing quite a bit about video nasties. Now, am I right in thinking they're from your home home city of Liverpool? It's not my home city, but it's the football team, I suppose. Ah, well, that's why I'm thinking that, because you're shouting about Liverpool yeah. every 10 minutes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Video Nasties are a band that I've been a fan of for a long time, since I first heard the uh, the first demo. And it's uh, it's amazing. It's kind of like a mixture of, I don't know, Entombed, John Carpenter. Um, there's like early Sepultura in there. There's, there's bits, of, bits of everything I love, really. And yeah. they're really cool guys. Um, obviously got experience of being in the underground for a while. Rick was in Iron Witch and all played in bands previously. Uh, Stuart was in SSS and um, uh, yeah, I, we, I, had, I had them supporting Orange Goblin a couple of years ago when we played in Liverpool and loved what they did. Uh, the album came out on APF Records last year, had, uh, earlier this year I think, and it's had fantastic press. Definitely a band to look out for. Yeah. So, uh, I'll be expecting an offer in the morning, mate. <laughs> but, um, I just announced a new signing today, another Manchester band actually called Aggressive Factor, which is kind of in the same vein as Midnight, Toxic Holocaust, Hell Ripper, that sort of thing. Amazing right. young band. That just I like young bands that can sort of recreate that classic uh, early 80s metal sound. It's Reminiscent of Venom and Mercy Fate and early Slayer and that. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I was put on to Hellripper uh, only last week, and he's a he's a fellow yeah. Scotsman. He's from Aberdeen, and I'm not the biggest thrash fan in the world, but I, there was something yeah. about Hellripper that I just thought was excellent. It was just, yeah. I was like, this is fucking. It was just, it was just, it sounded like so much fun. Yeah, they, they supported Orange Goblin last year in a, uh, our Christmas show at the Electric Ballroom in London. Right, it was a really eclectic lineup because we had Nort, which is kind of gothic post-punk uh dark wave sort of thing and then we had hell ripper and this sort of really black and thrash sort of thing and then we had discharge the main support and then us yeah so it was, it was nice and I, I like putting together bills like that it's a bit eclectic a little bit different yeah but, it, um, 
is that going to be is that going to be important for you when you're when you're putting packages together? And again, get back to the only other booking agent I've spoken to on this pod, podcast so far, Hayden. He's he's very big and he's enslaved with high and fire or yeah. uh, the packages. Well, you're not just you're Am and Ra were playing with uh, Boris and Joe Quayle. You're not just dragging. You're not just dragging two hundred yeah, black metal fans into the same same I, audience. I, I, I don't. I don't think many people really want to go to the show, the show and see four bands that are almost exactly the same. We want to have a little That's bit of That's what it used to be, though. Ten years ago, when you went yeah. to the new metal package or whatever, it was new metal bands, or you get thrash bands, or you get black metal, and I think that it's now changing. Yeah. You can go and get a wee bit of prog with thrash and death. And it's... It, yeah. Because you've had so many bands that have kind of crossed those boundaries of the genres as well. Like you say, Enslaved's a good point. They started off as a classic black metal band, and then... These days, they're more prog and Aranci Pizzazzo and stuff like that. And there's all these other bands that are kind of mixing stuff that 20 years ago you'd have never thought would have worked. Black metal and prog is like kind of at loggerheads, but it does work. And, yeah. and now you can get these more eclectic bills that, that cater for that. And, and those bands, when, they, when they're mixing, they, they tend to be the more exciting bands. I mean, as you say, it's good to get the old throwback bands or people that just know how to have a bit of fun. Yeah. But sometimes these bands, yeah. when they're mixing a couple of genres, that's what becomes, that's the most that's, interesting thing at an event. One of, one of the most exciting bands I've heard for a long time is about a young London band that I've just signed. It's a two-piece called Zetra. Really? And the only way I could describe it is it's like a cross between Type of Negative, My Bloody Valentine and Gary Newman. It's it's so out there, but it, it works and it's right. great. It's interesting. I mean, they dress in corpse paint with studs and bullet belts and all this thing, but it's it's incredible. It's it's visually interesting and sonically, audibly, it's fucking brilliant. Great. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm excited about your roster. I'm looking forward to seeing what what comes of it and then what, what the bands you've got in there and and, and giving it some attention. Then yeah, we'll get to we'll get to how you feel about the the scene across the world in the UK with Orange Goblin and we get that. But as um as an agent, how do you look at the scene in the UK? Do you feel it's quite healthy at the minute, or do you think it's still got to go some way to? To be like the rest I, of Europe and America. I think it's very. I think it's very healthy at the moment. There's a lot of good bands around. Um, you know, aside from the bands that I've just mentioned, I think it's great to see bands like Massive Wagons cracking the top ten this year. Um, you've got those damn crows that did the same thing. You've got um, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons' new album is just about to go into the top forty, I think. And and you know, there's a lot of young, exciting acts coming out that that we should be proud of. So. Yeah, I, I think everything moves in. So even within the sort of underground doom metal circles, you've got new bands like Green Lung that are doing good things and got Grave Lines that I really like. And uh, yeah, there's there's a whole load of different stuff that's, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. And in terms of the, um, the events, to, like from a promoter's point of view, then do, how do you feel about the, the blood stocks, the damnations, the obviously up to the downloads? We had the... Um, Lord of the Lands up in Scotland. Do you think there's a you think there's a, a circuit for bands in the UK also? Oh, they could do there more. Is, there is, and I mean, we say about the volume of festivals, but that can only be a good thing to give these bands that opportunity to play with the likes of you know your headliners, your carcasses, your creators, and things like that. So, you know, the, the more more we have of these, the better it is, and it gives every band an opportunity. They might not play all of them, but if they play one or two of them, it gives them a really good platform to expose themselves and people. You know, I mean. We're talking about Hellripper here, and five years ago, a band of that caliber, not many people would have heard of them, but they're kind of like well known within sort of metal circles within the UK now. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing. So, you know, 
people like yourselves that have been going for as long as you have and have always sort of championed underground music, I, I doff my cap to you. I think it's great. And the same thing with Bloodstock, who do the whole metal to the masses thing to kind of go out and, un and physically go out there and unearth all this fresh and exciting UK talent. They said it's a great thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And in, in terms of, we had High Command. Listeners won't know that you're the man who, who booked High Command when it was yeah. United Talent Agency. So we've yeah. managed to, we're probably about 90% of the, the lineup we've managed to roll over to next year. So what's, the, what's yeah. the situation? Will we have High Command available for 2021? I, I believe so. Um, I mean, I'm working on putting a touring schedule around that for them because obviously with a band coming from Massachusetts in the US, they couldn't possibly fly over just to do one show at Damnation. But if I go out there and I can make it worth their while and get other shows in different territories for them, then yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty confident it's going to happen, mate. Good. And Good. I appreciate you sort of making that effort to, to roll it over to next year as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel that... I think people need to hear. <laughs> yeah, I feel that, um, that you had an obligation. I mean, you, you do a deal with a band to come and play your festival and then... And then just fuck it off because the pandemic didn't suit. You know, it's like it, it just didn't sit yeah. right. It didn't sit right with me. I, mean, I, I think that's quite admirable of, of a lot of the promoters across Europe have done that this year. They, you know, they they announced their lineups for 2020, then COVID hit and everything got cancelled. And the majority of them have, you know, honoured that sort of lineup and said, yeah, well, you know, we'll put you on next year. Because it would have been easy for them to say, well, that didn't happen that year. We need to start looking at what's relevant for 2021 now. Yeah, and the top but, of that is there's a, there's a bit of fear because we, Damnation, has now got a wee bit of freedom because we sell so many tickets in advance that yeah. bands like High Command or Devil Master or Iris, that you've got no idea what they're going to sell in the UK. They might come across and be yeah. an app. They might knock it out of the park, but they might also come across and have no profile. So yeah. you're a bit like, ah, this is, this is a wee bit dodgy now. But Again, that's, that's why I appreciate people like yourselves taking that punt because High Command have never played a show in, in the UK. So we don't know if people are going to come out and, and want to see the band. It could, could fall flat on its face, but I'm pretty confident it won't. And I think the yeah. Damnation crowd are going to love them. I'm pretty confident. I, I'm pretty confident as well. A few people have asked. I mean, that's the first good sign that people who never knew anything about I Command listened to them once they were announced for that. Yeah. What would have been this year's festival? And they're now saying, will we get them back? I mean, a band that they never even yeah. knew existed. So <laughs> that was a bit like right, good. And the same can be said about Devil Master. I'm still in the um, I'm still in the works with the with Devil Master, but I completely understand as well. American bands are yeah. they've got their own shit show happening across there. And then I bet like right, I've been talking to Claire Agent Bruno about possibly putting Devil Master and High Command together to tour around that. So yeah. well, listen, I'm not trying to launch. I'm not agent. I'm looking after more event here, Ben. We're already we're already doing it, mate. It's nice. <laughs> good man, good man. Right, uh, let's let's talk about Orange Goblin. Twenty five yes. years. Twenty five years. So. Let's say, give me a highlight. Give me the, give me one of those moments where, like, this was the fucking greatest thing about being on Orange Goblin in those twenty-five years. You know what? There's, there's been a lot, and it's hard to pinpoint just one because as you progress through your career, you, you sort of experience one of those moments. You think can't get better than this, and then something else happens, and it does. I mean, if I had to pick one, I probably opt for opening the main stage at Ozfest in California in 2017, which was. Something we'd never dreamed of. Obviously, people, it's no secret that Orange Goblin are Black Sabbath fans. So Ozzy Osbourne's a little bit of a hero to us. Yeah. And to have Sharon Osbourne's office contact me out of the blue and say, look, would you guys be up for coming over and 
we'll fly you out to open the main stage at Ozfest. We're like, what? <laughs> really? And yeah, it was incredible. And an experience I'll never forget. Um, and and how was that? Just, just, to, just to pause with the Ozfest. So you go across there, and what do you, t- tell me about about the day. So you're getting the production. The American production gets gets quite badly slaughtered on this podcast. There's a lot of agents, a lot of bands, a lot of people that say America don't treat you well. You go there, and it's the the, the, the circuit's poor. You, the artists don't get the respect they deserve. So there, there you I are. Mean, you're talking about highlight. Let's give the Americans some praise. I've experienced the best of both worlds in, in the US. I mean, first time we toured the US with Alabama Thunder Pussy in 2002, we were playing in venues. We were turning up at venues on that tour and the fucking promoters or the, the bar didn't even know we were due to be there. So we'd walk in, there's no rider. You'd be lucky if you get two beer tickets. There's no dressing room. There's no stage. You're like, what the fuck are we doing here? And, you know, it's, it's bad. But... To be fair to Ozfest, the production there was incredible, and we got really well looked after. It was, but I mean, I guess they have to when you got Ozzy Osbourne on the bill, Black Label Society, and Prophets of Rage, and all these huge bands. So, yeah, we we were we were well looked after there. I mean, there have been other places in America where we haven't been quite so well looked after, but the bigger the festival, the more chance there is that the production is going to be pretty decent. I mean, Maryland Deathfest was great. That was that was really well organised, and we had a great time there. Um, uh, have, have a highlights. I mean, just for us playing the main stage at Download in 2000, and, what year was that? 2017, I think it was. I can't remember now, but um, that was a highlight because obviously we grew up watching the likes of Iron Maiden and ACDC headline Monsters of Rock at Donington. So to yeah. be there on that, what's considered hallowed ground, that was pretty cool. I'm gonna have to say, playing at uh, damnation, isn't it? <laughs> well, you can do. I mean, end of the day, <laughs> you, you, you can do. So, but like, let's always be, had a great time at damnation. So, like, let's no be fair, Ben. There. You played frontman when you used them for you hit it out the park. When you played with um, both 2007 and 2014, when you guys played, you were both main yeah. stage, you were both quite high up, sporting creator, yeah. and then a the year with Bolt yeah. Thrower and St. Vitus. Yeah. So, I mean, I could they, they came across as a promoter and a fan watching, like. Absolutely sublime yeah. shows, but obviously, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing that every night of your life. No, I mean, those, those shows were pretty special. I mean, I particularly remember sort of being sort of in awe of Creator because uh, I bumped into Miller on the stairs and sort of like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I was like, loved your band for years. Something you must get sort of a million times a day. But um, one thing that sticks in my memory about that first show was. Our ex-guitarist, Pete, his brother had come with us to crew for us that day. Hey. And just before we went on stage, I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Joe, our guitarist. He was desperate for a piss before we went on stage. But he didn't have time to go to the toilet. So he took a pint glass in the dressing room, had a piss in it, and just put it on top of this cabinet so that no one would find it and uh, put it out of the way. With that, our guitar tech, Jason, came into the dressing room, thought it was his beer, picked it up, and took a massive gulp from oh. it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Picking pubes out of his teeth for the next three hours. <laughs> so yeah, that sticks in my memory about that festival. But yeah, there's been a lot of highlights throughout the career of Orange Gobbler. I, yeah. think, you know, I mean, going and playing Wembley Arena, supporting Alice Cooper and Dio back in 2000 was pretty special. And playing the main stage at Bloodstock as well. It's, it's been yeah, great. You've, 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 you've done a lot. You've done a lot, man. Then just yeah. before, well, I'm going to ask you about some of the worst things that have happened in 25 years, but I just want to say that there, is a, there was a picture of you at um, Damnation 2007 
standing like sitting on the barrier where the security take the crowd suffers and you got a fucking yeah. bottle of Jack Daniels and a bottle of wine looking like the happiest. I mean, you might, I think you were watching, you you'd played so you could only be watching Amen or Creator. I think it was Creator and you looked like the happiest yeah. guy in the venue. And it made me think is sometimes you're a bit like these bands are just. It's just this is humdrum. This is what these guys do. They are the rock stars. But you look like you look yeah. like the happiest fan in the building. That's that's I've always loved about it, especially playing festivals, is because you get to go along, you do your job, you get your show out of the way, and then you get to watch all the bands that you've grown up loving or excited about at the time. So it's it's a win-win situation, isn't it? You get getting paid money to play an amazing festival, you get to hang out with your mates all day, drink free beer and wine and whiskey and whatever, and and get to see all the bands you love. Did you did you were you able to hang about for the 2014 one and watch Bolt Thrower? Um, I don't think we could because uh, we was on tour with St. Vitus at the time, so we so, had to get back on the bus, I think, and have to shoot right. off. So there's a reason that we weren't hanging around. So if Carl Willis is watching, I apologise, mate. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, it became more because at the end of the day, that was a special event. Anybody had never played a UK festival and agreed to do Damnation, yeah. but then with the passing of their, their drummer, um, yeah. it, it became sort of we're never going to do yeah. it again. It just it, it, it put a wee bit of an exclamation mark on that show and 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 how much it means yeah. to the boat floor fans. So uh, it was, yeah. I, it was just thing. So twenty five years. Tell me about tell me about some of the absolute moments where you're like I do not want to be doing this shit. Uh, I mean, when you turn up at venues in places like Bozeman, Montana, and as I say, it's one of those places they don't even know you're playing. There's there's no rider. There's no there's no one going to be there. We've turned up at places where there's just been like a far right Nazi skinhead audience, and we're like, "What's going on here?" It's, it's. I can't think of any that have been that bad. I mean, we played a show uh, in San Antonio where the promoter greeted us upon arrival and told us that he just lost his liquor license, so they weren't allowed to sell beer in the venue that night. No one could drink in the venue, and. Uh, they weren't going to be able to pay us the full fee. They'd have to wire it to our agent. We sounded dodgy. So we just sort of got back in the van and said, no, nah, no, nah, this ain't for us. We'll, we'll give it a miss tonight. And with that sort of, they kind of lift the shirt and just show you that they're holding a gun in the in the waist of their trousers. And he's like, oh, you're playing tonight. And we're like, all right, okay, where do we know you? <laughs> so, you know, obviously Pete leaving the band in 2002 after that first US tour, was a kind of low point for us and he wanted to pursue his career in art and everything, but it never really stopped us. And if anything, I think it kind of galvanized us and made us stronger as a unit. And when we became a four piece, we never really looked back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did, a, I did an interview that you'd done at Metal Hammer Kerrang. I, I think it was a decade ago and it may have been a cover feature and it was pretty much you guys saying, this is it. We are, we're going to do this full time. We're going to have a fucking stab yeah. at that. Do, do you recall yeah. that? And, and, and what happened? Did, yeah. It was it was the Terrorizer magazine. We, it was the first UK magazine to give us a front cover. And the whole story around it was, you know, like I said earlier, off the back of the Eulogy for the Damned album, which was kind of our biggest success to date, um, we, we made the plunge to go full time and, and have a crack at touring the world. And... God knows we had a really good crack at it. That first year in 2013, we did something like 161 shows and was pretty much away for nine months of the year. And we, we, we did Soundwave Festival across Australia, which was an amazing experience. Then we flew from Perth straight to Boston, Massachusetts to start an eight-week tour of North America with Clutch. 
Uh, we came home, we did three months in Europe, then went back and did another headline tour across the USA, came back and did the airborne tour in the UK. And it was, it was just madness, but it was great fun. I'm not going to lie. I mean, if we could have made a living out of it, I'd have loved to have carried on, but it just weren't financially viable at the age we all were because we've all got kids, we've all got wives and mortgages and things like that. So, you know, it was, it's, it's great fun. And I think the reason that we took the plunge when we did was because we had the opportunity to do all those shows that year. And if we hadn't done it, we'd have probably been forever kicking ourselves going, yeah. oh, do you know what? I wish we'd have had, given it a go at least. But yeah. at least now we can say, you know, we tried, we had fun. It was a great crack and, you know, no regrets. No regrets. I, mean, I, I think that'll be it'll just be utterly depressing for for other artists because there's there's no two ways about it. Orange Goblin are a sizable act. I mean, those are the guys that will get yeah. offers across the world. So you're looking at Orange Goblin, especially if you don't really know much about the scene, go like they guys don't have jobs as well. I mean, that's clearly their yeah. job. So I think that's, I mean, how far off were you? I mean, was it was it just not never going to be achievable? Or it, I think it could have been achievable given given a another couple of years but we obviously didn't have another couple of years with our yeah. sort of situation at home so we had to make a decision and the thing is you know i'm not gonna lie we, we got decent money for the tours and the shows that we did but with that there also comes a lot of expense as well when you're looking at visas for america and flights here and there and backline hire and transport and crew wages and things like that so it all takes its toll and it eats away at your earnings so any band that any band could make it if they've got the right sort of uh, infrastructure in place. You've got to be sensible with the crew you take, the the sort of the travel you do, the just being prepared with your merchandise, being organised, and and uh, have everything uh, lined up. Yeah, you, you can we'll, we'll go full circle back to the sort of cathedral and electric wizard. So you're coming up in that scene, and as I say, there's yeah. not many bands that have that, that cracked it. And then Electric Wizard, weirdly, because if you were ever looking at yeah. a, a route map or how to do it, you would say, don't do it like yeah. Electric Wizard. I mean, like, like do it like bring yeah. in an <laughs> up from Vanting and have this infrastructure in place and be professional as fuck and just batter everybody with your brand. When yeah. Electric Wizard are just unlocking a, a, a train off the tracks. And, but that's that's the attraction, as you see. You're never quite... There's that, yeah. there's a sense of, but you, I mean, it's... You know, find a way. Essentially... A lot, all the bands you mentioned, it's it's hard, no matter what sort of money you're making, it's still essentially underground music that that isn't going to cross. You're not going to get radio play. No. no matter how many tickets Electric Wizards sell in the live sort of uh, arenas and things, they're, they're not going to get Radio One uh, radio play. So they're not going to cross over and become the next Iron Maiden or the next no. Judas Priest or something, the next Metallica. So. Um, it's it's breaking out of that underground is is the difficult thing. And like I say, Orange Goblin made decent money, but we didn't make enough money. And there's very few bands. Like Clutch is a good example. Would do they managed to sort of tour successfully? But that's because they're really well organised and have everything in place. As do like Queens of the Stone Age, who came from the kind of desert scene and the stoner rock scene, and then made the jump to to becoming a really sort of big popular act. So yeah, you know, it's possible. It's funny that you mentioned Clutch because I, I, my next band I was coming to, like, like you, 
you're not you're not a better guy. You can tell this conversation. Or you're looking at Alexi Wizard and say, "Fuck that!" Should have been us headline inside go Las Vegas or that stage at, at Hellfest. I don't get me wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but Clutcher, you. I mean, why why aren't Orange Goblin Clutch? You know what I mean? Is a is it every time? Not that you sat in there, there's any bitterness towards Clutch per se, but you, you've said like, why did why did we not make that connect? It just took us to the couple of thousand tickets of show. I I think, um, you know, I think we'd all be the first to admit that in the early days we was a bit naive. We was a little bit unprofessional, actually quite a lot unprofessional. Um, we didn't sort of pay enough attention to the importance of having proper management, proper booking agent, that sort of thing. And it's that's what's helped me in my career is that I learned from their mistakes and now I, I sort of realise what is important. So... You know, as I said, I've got no regrets about Orange Goblin. Everything happens for a reason. I'm fiercely proud of everything we've achieved. And I could I could easily look back and say, oh, fucking hell, if only we did that, we could have been this size now. Yeah. But, you know, the, 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 the following we have, the output we have, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. For, yeah, absolutely. For, Listen, for, but for I, don't want any, I don't want any of this uh, conversation like... The point this podcast, I don't want to come on and fanboy you for an hour, I'm not I mean, saying, oh my God, no, no, no. Orange Goblin, Orange Goblin. But I, I fully understand and appreciate that the career you've had is what other bands look at and say, we wish we could be Orange Goblin yeah, yeah. and yeah. play all these main stage yeah. well. So don't, although I'm trying to, to get in about the weeds of your career and what happened and what didn't happen, I, I fully appreciate how successful you guys have been and how good you've been, what you've done. Because for 25 yeah, years you. and you're still, I mean, you're still a name that, I, you can book Orange Goblin for next year's Damnation. You're going you're gonna to sell tickets for Damnation. You're going to sell tickets for Bloodstock. You sell get that in writing. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody wants it, right? We don't do contracts. We're, we're yeah. DIYs. I mean, it's a nice position. We, we are in that position now. As you say, we, because we can't tour as strenuously as we used to, we can pick and choose the festivals we do, the tours we do, and and we know that you know, we'll have a decent turn-up. So... Yeah. It's uh, it's nice, and that's testament to the hard work we've put in because it has been a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of a lot of jobs that we've had to give in over the years. A lot of um, sacrifices we've made in our personal lives and things like that. So yeah, it's all it's all worthwhile. Yeah. Do you, do you have territories that you look forward to going to? Uh, areas you're like, yes, this is going to be absolute. Everybody keeps mentioning Japan when I ask this question. But you have places you go like, fucking cannot wait. And likewise, do you have places yeah. you go and say, fuck me, I do not want to go there. Um, well, yeah, I'd, I'd say Japan myself. We have, we've only played there once. We went there in 1999 supporting Cathedral. And I'm not going to lie, it was like being in the Beatles for five days. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy. We was, we was getting greeted at the train station by fans getting autographs and photos. And by the time we got to the hotel, they had these photos printed out and getting us to sign them. It was crazy. But um, there's nowhere I really dread. Nowhere we've been this... I mean, there's parts of North America that I wouldn't be too keen to have to go back to but I don't want to sort of say anywhere but um, have you got a level now with the band where Orange Goblin that you go there and there isn't that fucking guy with a gun in Montana or whatever the hell are you, are you <laughs> yeah, now at that I stage mean, you, you can be pretty confident you arrive in North America you're going to have a decent tour yeah we've definitely seen a progression from the first US tour in 2002 where we had to do 38 shows in 39 days playing every dive bar across America so last year we toured across America and did six shows where we can fly from New York to Chicago, fly from Chicago down to Texas and Texas to LA. And, and it was, it was nice to be in a position that we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. But so, but there's nowhere 
there's no way that you're saying fuck. We're just no, we're not doing that. It's just I'll take us back to feeling like we're two thousand and two again. Nah, nah. I mean, we've already probably none of us got any airs and graces. We're not, we're not afraid to sort of get our hands dirty and go back and play to smaller venues as well because it's, it's where we came from and we yeah. don't ever want to forget that. Yeah, is it that this interview? It reminds me quite a bit with an interview I've done with Dave Hunt from Anunnathrak, and I think there's a lot of similarities in the bands in the sense that yeah. if if somebody was to say to me, "Well, what, what bands would you have that you think you uh, you wish they could bust through at that headline level?" Orange Goblin and Anunnathrak are two bands that I see playing major stages across the world, but yeah. but not. In the, in the UK. And the, the question I want to ask is when I spoke to Dave, he felt there was a he felt there was a level of disrespect. And I'd seen it as well from some bands towards his band, uh, Cannibal Cops, Cataclysm. They never gave Nathrak the respect they deserved. They felt that they should definitely be billed above them or whatever. Have you have you do you see that in your scene of the people with 25 years in, people just understand where Orange Goblin are in the scene? Um I don't think I've really seen much of that kind of disrespect. I mean, it's, it's obviously out there. I've, I've heard comments from people just sort of discarding us as sort of a cathedral rip-off or a Black Sabbath clone and that sort of thing. But that's people's opinion. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm six foot five and I don't want to fucking upset me. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I wouldn't mind getting a fight with Dave Hunt either. He looks like a, a Tesco bouncer. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nice guy, though, Dave. He is. He is a very nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Yeah. So, aye. So, I was listening to... You had a, a short podcast that you put up on the Orange Goblin site. There was a couple of... There was a couple of wee bits that kind of caught me out. One was the yeah. the record label situation. You, you spoke very warmly of Rise Above. And then when you were talking about Candlelight, you, you said, we've just seen that deal out. And I didn't know if that was just how yeah. you were thinking at the time or there was any sort of... That, that didn't go the way you wanted to go with that record deal? Um, I mean, no disrespect to Candlelight. It was a great record label for us to be on. They did a great job for us with Eulogy for the Damned. As I say, it was our most successful record. Um, Back from the Abyss was a suitable follow-up. And then we delivered Wolf Bites Back with them in 2018. And they were in a sort of um, a progressive stage where they'd gone from being Candlelight Records to being Candlelight as part of Spine Farm and Universal. So I think we went from being sort of a big fish in a small pond to being the uh, small fish in a very big pond. And when the Wolf Bites Back came out, it was a very similar period to the, the new Ghost album. And they had a lot of really big releases that, in that period. I think Rammstein released an album as well. And, and we kind of got lost in the sort of mix of things and didn't really get the marketing and promotion that we'd have liked. Yeah. But, you know, these things happen. Um, and when I said that like, we've just come out of that deal, it's because you know we had that's a fact we, we delivered our free albums for them, and yeah. we're currently free agents. And we've we've spoken to a few few labels, and we're discussing things, but we're not in a rush to to write anything new at the moment. Obviously, this year is supposed to be our 25 year anniversary, and you know there was plans for us to play a lot of summer festivals and and get across Europe, and then finish the year with this big UK tour. Um, in December, which which isn't happening now, we've rescheduled for next year, but um, we sort of looking at alternative things to make this year special, and yeah. we've got these live stream shows coming up. I mean, the the biggest thing 
from for our point of view this year is the fact that our, our bass player Martin's leaving in December yeah. after these live stream shows, which is uh, very sad because you know, Martin found a member and he's been there twenty five years of service and and uh, it's it's going to be weird without him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The um, the second part to that sort of question that came for that podcast is uh, unless I picked you up wrong when you were talking about record, you said it'd be nice to do one last record. Is that then I googled? Like, is there something about Orange Goblin going anywhere? Yeah, is this a, that I never knew about? Yeah. So, did I pick you up wrong, or do you feel you've got one more record to thank and then it's going to be done? I, I, no, I, I, I don't think we've still got uh, plenty to offer. Um, there's there's no reason. I mean, Martin's, Martin's departing, but we've already got a replacement lined up. Um, that's going to be unveiled soon. So, and we're already talking about, you know, possibility of recording new stuff with a new bass player and, and get to writing stuff next year. The reason, the reason it hasn't happened so far, excuse me, is just because, you know, this year was supposed to be a celebration of those 25 years and we was going to be playing uh, material from across our whole uh, back catalogue. Um, so writing new material didn't really cross our minds this year. Um, but once we get this out of the way and the new bass player settled in, then, then yeah, we'll definitely start looking at, uh, writing again that's that's you know the reason you form a band in the first place is to be creative and, and make music that you want to hear so once that dries up and takes the fun out of it then there's no point doing it absolutely absolutely that's good news for all concerned as i say maybe i don't know if yeah. i picked you up wrong in that, that interview or if it was just no, no, no. yeah you meant that term like i'll get to the next record no like that would be your final one you've no need to apologize i mean we do come across as miserable bastards in a lot of the interviews and a lot of the stuff we do so so it's perfectly understandable if you think fucking hell they sound like they've had enough <laughs> aye aye and uh, to wrap this up then let's say uh, let's chat about the live streams obviously that isn't what you wanted that wasn't your first choice you'd love to have been in two packed london shows you're, you're the kind of guy that feeds off the audience you're not you're, yeah. you're, you're part of it being a big yeah, like our front man is is kind of your your thing. So how you, tell me about these yeah. live streams and what I, you, what you I, are doing them? I took the idea. So you're frozen there, mate. Oh, I think the reception yeah. stuff. The reception that goes. So just tell me about the live streams. Yeah, I, I mean, I weren't too keen on the idea when it first came about. Um, I was still sort of clinging on to the faint hope that these dates in December would take place, but. Um, Obviously, it wasn't to be. Um, and then we realised, right, we've got to do something. So um, we originally set up these shows to take place at the Dome in London um, with Old Empire promoting and Hotel Radio doing these live streams so you can watch it anywhere in the world. Um, but what I didn't like about the idea at first was, as you say, there's only going to be sort of limited capacity all sitting down around tables. And that's not the sort of environment that I envision Orange Goblin playing. I want the crowd up close and personal and, and yeah. interacting with them so but then i realized that you know this this is what there is at the moment this is what we've got to do um and it wouldn't be fair for me to hold the rest of the band back uh from doing these shows just for my own personal sort of satisfaction on stage yeah. the more i've got to come around with the idea i thought well you know it's something new it's a new challenge and it's something i'm now looking forward to especially the kind of ideas behind it is doing two completely different sets each night first night focusing on those first five albums that we did with rise above second night focusing on the the later albums that we did with sanctuary and candlelight so it's it's nice to go back and sort of explore a lot of material that we haven't played for god knows how many years and now with martin announcing his sort of uh departure from the band 
it's added a, another level of significance. So really looking forward to it now. And uh, yeah, obviously disappointed that the original dates that were planned in November on the 15th and 16th didn't take place because of the national lockdown and the venue being unable to open. But we've managed to reschedule it for Friday the 18th and Saturday the 19th of December. And ironically, those were the two nights that we were due to be playing in London at the Underworld as part of the UK tour. So, yeah, you know, we'll go it's, all, it's all came together <laughs> nicely. Is there something that some bands have been quite inventive? Uh, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, for example, they had the screens on uh, wherever they were playing. And uh, uh, have you get any right? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you get uh, ideas for what you want to do, is it going to be sort of um, spitting sawdust like this is what you're getting? It's all about the music. I, I mean, we, we have upped our production a little bit in recent years. We're not, there's no longer just four guys shambling on stage and, and getting on with it. We, you know, we put a little bit of thought into the set list so we can get a lighting show in place. And, uh, and we've got really good sound man that does a great job for us, but there's nothing too extravagant. You're not going to see a Ramstein show and lasers and everything. <laughs> You're not going to get an Alan Partridge Pink Floyd show for 50 quid. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's going to be orange goblin, essentially, but, you know, it's going to be visually entertaining as well, I'd like to think. Aye, magic, magic, big man. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anything else you want to add before before we leave you? Um, no, just, you know, if people want to tune in and watch those live stream shows, then you can get tickets at oldempire.com and uh, hotelradio.com. I think it's, uh, I don't know, I don't know the websites, but check it out. It's all yeah, I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's hotel radio, but we'll get that we'll get a link underneath the video anyway. It's been a it's been a pleasure, yeah. big man. Thanks very much for talking to us. All right, speak to you soon. Absolute pleasure talking to you as well, Gav. Cheers, mate. I'll uh, I'll be on the email in the morning. <laughs> <laughs>